Uh, you may all be seated. And we continue with our gospel text, reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. I invite you to hear uh, the word God has for us this morning. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, oh, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to ask if we can put the third light on this side on so I can see. We had, it was on earlier. Well, I will try to see. Now, now it's darker. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. <laughs> I was seeing spots with my eyes closed. <laughs> it's always one extreme or the other in the sanctuary. The story takes place in Jericho, a bustling city, a major trade route. Boasting a natural spring that provides plenty of fresh water, it's considered an oasis in an arid land. Sycamore trees still abound there. And most of us know the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who climbed one, or at least we think we know the story. One day, Jesus is coming to Jericho, and people have gathered around him. Some are there to hear him teach, some are there to ask for healing, some are there just to see what all the fuss is about. And Zacchaeus, being rather short in stature, decides to climb that tree to be able to see Jesus when he walks past. It's kind of like when your father would hoist you on his shoulders at a parade so that you could see what was going on, too. Zacchaeus somehow feels this urgent need to catch a glimpse of the holy man. Is he just curious? Or is it something more? Surely he has heard the scuttlebutt about Jesus, that he welcomes and even eats meals with tax collectors and other sinners. 
What a shocking and thrilling thought that is that such a man at Jesus would sit at a table with someone as hated as Zacchaeus is. You see, as Pastor Steve reminded you last Sunday in a story about another tax collector, they are reviled in Jesus' day. Most of the Hebrew people live in poverty, just barely scraping by. Tax collectors are not IRS civil servants. They're self-employed businessmen who sometimes profit from other people's misery as they collect taxes for Rome. Demanding more money than the Roman government actually requires skimming off the top, sometimes even confiscating property. Now remember, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, so the people of Jericho assume he is at the top of all the scoundrels. To make matters worse, since he's Jewish himself, they also assume that he is extorting money from his own people for personal gain while working hand-in-hand -hand with their Roman oppressors. As you can imagine, he's not welcome anywhere. Not included in the social gatherings, never invited to be around decent folks. Wherever he goes, people mumble about him or even say nasty things to his face. When word reaches Zacchaeus that Jesus is coming to town, he's more than a little curious. Making his way through the dusty, busy streets, he hopes to catch a glimpse of Jesus, and suddenly he hears the noise of the crowd. He knows Jesus is approaching, and as his eagerness to see, he scampers up that tree. Can you imagine the snickers in the crowd when they see the despised Zacchaeus perched in the tree? Instead of joining in the derision, Jesus' heart goes out to the lonely, despised little man, and he offers the gift of acceptance. Looking up directly at him, Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus, hurry, come on down, for I must be at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurries down, excited, overjoyed. When you hear that phrase, come on down, does it remind anybody of a certain game show? Give yourself a star if you thought of the price is right. I've never really been a fan of that show. While I understand getting excited about winning a prize, with the way the contestants jump up and down and go like crazy before they even never know if they've won anything, I've always assumed that they have to try out to be on the show and prove that they can act that crazy, proving just how over the top they can be. Now when Zacchaeus hears, come on down, it's something altogether different. Knowing how hated he is by so many people, Zacchaeus must be asking himself, me? Why me? Jesus, won't you get in trouble with people if you're even seen with me, much less if you come to my house? Zacchaeus is overcome with excitement, though, as he scrambles down the tree to accept Jesus' invitation. He's not wrong about what people think. They start to mumble right away about Jesus going to the house of a tax collector. Surely other people are more worthy. Jesus is sending the clear message that every person is a child of God. Regardless of what we might think about them, no one is ever too lost to be found again. No one is beyond redemption. Then we hear Zacchaeus promise to give half his money to the poor, and if he makes a mistake in anyone's account, he will pay back four times. Now if we look at the story as most people see it, we applaud that Jesus sees through a corrupt single man, sinful man to the person he could be, 
Jesus' love and compassion end up turning Zacchaeus' life around, saving him from his sin, saving him from himself, creating in him a, a newly generous heart. That in itself is a wonderful gospel message, one that most of us have preached to our pastors. We're reminded of the prodigal son and other biblical characters who have a come-to-Jesus moment after a life of bad choices. Only, there are quite a few greatly respected biblical scholars out there who think we have been missing the deeper meaning of this story all along. Two of them, who are professors at Luther Seminary, Matt Skinner and Dave Lowe's, David Lowe's is one of my favorite writers, make a good case for this. Surprisingly enough, it comes down to grammar and the translation of Greek verbs. Now, before your eyes glaze over, stay with me just a moment. You see, contrary to many translations, including the New Revised Standard Version, which we usually use in this worship service, the tense of the verbs in Zacchaeus' declaration of generosity are not the future tense, but the present tense. Those who translate this as the future-oriented proclamation about what Zacchaeus is going to do from now on claim to use a grammatical category called present-future tense. However, the only time such a verb tense is ever claimed is that one verse in the whole Bible. It's as if people created a new category simply to justify their theological interpretation, assuming that since Zacchaeus is a tax collector, he has to be the bad man people think he is, and he has to repent before he could possibly be saved. However, there is a better case to be made that Zacchaeus is actually already a good man. Here he is responding to the angry crowd, the people who have thought the worst about him without really knowing him. He says, look, just because you know of other tax collectors who are corrupt, it doesn't mean that I am. I give half my money to the poor, and if I make a mistake with somebody, I pay them back four times over. Jesus already knows that Zacchaeus is a good man. He looks at a person and knows what is in the heart. He realizes that Zacchaeus is lonely and lost because he's been unjustly judged and condemned. So it seems like Zacchaeus, who is not only falsely accused in his own time, but also in ours, what if he's simply an honest man in a profession easily given to corruption, and he's just making a living, just taking care of his family, doing the best he can? After years of rejection, imagine the grace Zacchaeus hears in Jesus' invitation to climb down that tree and host Jesus in his own house. Most people's names, especially in the Bible, have meanings in their origin. Maybe you know the origin of your name. Did you know that the name Zacchaeus means pure, clean, and innocent? And the name was given to him at birth, not after the story. Is the gospel writer trying to tell us something? Rather than saving Zacchaeus from being a villain, it seems that Jesus is saving him from a lonely, misunderstood, tortured existence. Jesus is seeing Zacchaeus in the way he should be seen, as one who is dearly loved by God. Luke's story here is a challenge to us when we are quick to judge one another. 
when we think we know all about a person based on our assumptions rather than on any evidence, when we withhold acceptance and fall into the evils of prejudice and self-righteousness. Have you ever known the pain of being falsely accused of something? When I was in eighth grade, our teacher, Mrs. Ferniehow, had given us a reading assignment over the summer, and we could choose to read one of two books, The Dubliners by James Joyce or To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. I chose To Kill a Mockingbird. A few months later in that year, we were each tasked with writing our own short story. Mine happened to take place in Ireland, and apparently something about either the setting or the theme or the characters reminded the teachers of the Dubliners, and she accused me of plagiarizing from the book. Now, first of all, if I were going to do something like that, I wouldn't be stupid enough to plagiarize from a book that had recently been assigned. Secondly, I love English literature and later became an English major in college, so the false accusation cut me to the core. My mother even called Mrs. Ferniehow to tell her that I never read the book, and she had to beg me to read back then, so she knew. But from the way the, treat the teacher treated me after that, I don't think she ever believed it. After all these years, it still bothers me, and that was eighth grade. Believe it or not, I have never read The Dubliners. I think it's my own protest. I don't even want to know what James Joyce actually wrote. If you have ever experienced people having the wrong idea about you, you know that it is a hurtful, hard thing to endure. Yet I feel that my story of misunderstanding is nothing compared to what happened to a man from Missouri named Daryl Burton. I read an article on it in Christian Century magazine some years back. In 1984, a man was shot and killed at an Amico gas station. Two days later, a couple of people identified Daryl as the shooter. Even though the police couldn't establish a motive, Daryl, who was only 22 years old at the time, was convicted and sentenced to life without parole. He hadn't done it. And he left behind a seven-month-old daughter to serve a sentence he didn't deserve. He was in Missouri's state penitentiary, known as one of the more violent prisons in the country. Darrell at first became filled with anger and bitterness and rage. But he eventually realized that those feelings had their own kind of prison. After 24 years in jail, with Daryl writing over 600 letters for help with his case, someone finally listened and helped him prove his innocence so that in 2008 he was declared innocent and exonerated. I don't know about you, but if I were in that position, I would find it incredibly hard to let go of the pain of it. Heck, I had a hard time letting go of feeling wronged by Mrs. Ferdinghouse. Daryl has known the saving love of Jesus Christ that taught him how to forgive. And he wants to share with the world his message of grace and love, hope and forgiveness. He went to seminary and now serves as associate pastor at Church of the Resurrection, the largest Methodist church in our country. He's been invited, invited to speak about his experiences of faith and forgiveness all over the world. If it had not been, if there had not been a person 
beyond those prison walls, who is willing to let go of the assumptions about Daryl, who is willing to look for the possible good in him, he would still be serving out his life sentence today. Yes, salvation is about being saved from our sin, from the ways we have turned away from God, but it is also about being saved when we are simply feeling lost or empty or desperately lonely or in despair. In the story of Zacchaeus, he is lost to the isolation and pain of undeserved judgments from others. The people of Jericho who condemn a man because of their assumptions about him are lost to the smallness of their vision. Are you lost in one of those ways? If you are like Zacchaeus or Daryl, know that God's love can sustain you and free you from bitterness and pain. If you are like those who misjudge these men based on assumptions or your self-righteousness or even prejudice, maybe it's time to let Christ into your heart so that you can begin to see with new eyes. This morning we were reminded through Natasha's baptism that each of us is claimed as God's own child, loved before we even particularly know how to respond to it. Let's hope and pray and strive to respond to God's grace by extending it to one another. To God be the glory. Amen.